know about you all, but I like snacking in the evening. Anybody with me? Yeah, a lot of us, right? The, the honest ones. Uh, and there are times when I'm snacking on something sweet and Ava and Edie will come in the room and they'll come up to me and they'll ask, what you eating? And I'll kind of hesitate for a minute because I know what's coming next. And I'll tell them, and then they ask what? Yeah, can we have some? And sometimes I'll let them, and other times I'll say no because this is dad's. Or, uh, no, I don't do that. But uh, uh, I, I will say at times, you know, this has sugar in it. It's right before bed. So if you eat it before you go to bed, you won't go to sleep. And at times, our oldest, Ava, who's too smart for her own good, will ask me this in response. She'll say, then why are you eating it? And then I'll pause for a moment, and I'll say, because I'm the dad, I can do whatever I want, right? Yeah. But I, I have to confess, at times, I am guilty of this, do as I say, not as I do with my kiddos. And at times when I do this, I, 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 I don't really think my girls believe me. For example, like with sugary sweets at night, I'm sure at times they think, well, surely sugary sweets aren't that bad for you because if they were, dad wouldn't be eating them, right? And I also think that at times we as believers are guilty of doing this as well, aren't we? Though we say one thing, oftentimes we do the exact opposite, which leads to many in the outside, unbelieving and watching world to question our message. For example, though we say a relationship with God is the most important thing in our lives, we often live as if our faith is in our finances or in our relationships or in our possessions, which results in those out there questioning whether or not we in here truly mean what we say when we talk about our relationship with God. Well, today we're going to look at an example from a person in Scripture who practiced what he preached. We're going to look at an example of an individual who truly Proved that he believed what he professed by the way he lived his life. We're going to look at a man who had the attitude of do as I say and do as I do. We're going to examine the life of one who truly walked worthy for God by looking at the life of the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 3. We are continuing our series through this great book this morning. We've taken a bit of time off, but now we're, we're back in this great book, the book of Ephesians. And one thing we've learned as we've studied through this book is that this book is a very systematic book, isn't it? It's one of the easiest to outline in all the Bible. It divides nicely in half. The first half of the book Paul is telling us, the reader, 
of all the wonderful things that God has done for us as believers and who we are in Christ. And in the latter half of the book, he teaches us how we are to live in light of those truths. So the book of Ephesians can be split in half. Chapters 1 through 3 are all about what God has done for us and our identity in Christ. And the latter half of the book, chapters 4 through 6, are about how we are to live in light of these truths. So the first half of the book, Paul's focus is upon doctrine. In the second half of the book, his focus is upon practice. The reason why he starts this book with focusing upon doctrine is because Paul knows before one can live rightly for God, they must first think rightly about him. He knows that right thinking leads to right living. That's why he begins with doctrine. We're still in the first half of this book in chapter 3. And before Paul makes this transition from knowing to doing, from doctrine to practice, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he takes a moment to give his readers, to give the Christians of his day and us, his greater Christian audience, a wonderful example of what it looks like to walk worthy for God. And who is the example Paul gives? Himself. Himself. He puts himself forward as an example for us. And this is not the only time he does it in Scripture, right? But he does. So hopefully as we study through verses 1 through 13 of Ephesians 3 this morning, you see, you will see through studying this text that Paul is not one who simply calls for us to walk worthy for God, but we see by examining Paul's life that he's a great example of someone who did, in fact, walk worthy for him. Notice in this passage, we see several key characteristics for walking worthy for God by looking at the example of the Apostle Paul. Number one, here's the first characteristic we see. To walk worthy, we learn from Paul, we must first be willing to sacrifice for God's people and for his gospel. Listen, folks, you want to know how you're doing when it comes to walking worthy for God? You want to diagnose your spiritual health? You're going to be taking an assessment, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks that will help us know where we are collectively as a church. But you want to know where you are individually? Listen, how you answer this question will make things crystal clear. This is not true of you. If you're not willing to sacrifice for God's people and for God's gospel, you're nowhere close to where you need to be. Plain and simple. The reason why Paul was such a wonderful example for us is because he was willing to lay it all down for the cause of Christ, for God's people. And he did so time and time again. Look at Ephesians 3 verse 1. Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. Stop there for a minute. Notice here, Paul is speaking to the Gentiles. Again, he's addressing Gentile believers. 
And, and notice here, Paul refers to himself as a prisoner. As we've already learned, Ephesians is one of Paul's prison epistles, which just means this is a letter Paul wrote while he was in prison. And, and many believe that this was written during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. He was imprisoned twice there. And it was during his second imprisonment in Rome that he was put to death at the hands of Nero. So this is during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. But notice here, he doesn't mention one thing about being in a Roman prison. He doesn't say, Paul, a prisoner of Rome, does he? What does he say? He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Though we said when introducing this book, the book of Ephesians, Paul was arrested on Jewish charges and later ended up in a Roman prison. Paul saw his arrest as a sacrifice, get this, that he was making on behalf of God's people and for God's gospel. Tells his Gentile audience here, he says, I've been put in prison for your sakes. I am where I am because I have been a faithful apostle of the Lord Jesus and because of you. I am where I am because I've been preaching this message about Christ that benefits you and I'm in prison for preaching this message. We see here, Paul understands very clearly that he is sacrificing for God's people and for his gospel. And notice, Paul doesn't say it like this. He doesn't say, man, the reason I'm in this prison is because of God and because of you guys. If only I would have said no on the road to Damascus, I wouldn't be in this mess. It's not what Paul's saying, is it? Look at Ephesians 3, 2. Paul says, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. That word stewardship there is a key word in this verse. It refers to a plan or a task. Paul's basically saying here, I, though, though I'm in jail in Rome for Christ on your behalf, though I've been placed under arrest, for my ministry and because of the message that I'm giving to you, this was all a part of God's plan. This is what I've been called to do, Paul says. Paul understood that serving the Lord, serving God, being an apostle of Christ, it involves sacrifice. He was willing to make that sacrifice, wasn't he? Look on down at verse 13. Skip on down there for a minute. Look at what he says. Paul says, so I ask you not to lose heart. He's comforting them while he's in prison. How about that? I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul says here, this is the work that God has called me to do. So don't lose heart. Don't be upset at the fact that I'm suffering. This is all a part of, of God's plan. See, many in that day like they do today, believe prosperity is always a sign of divine favor and that suffering is always a sign of divine disapproval. Many believe that if one 
has health and wealth. They're getting it right spiritually. And if they don't, then they need to repent of something. Well, if that's the case, Paul's one of the worst Christians to ever live, right? Because this was his entire ministry. But many believe that. They believe if there is financial or physical problems, then there must be a spiritual problem. Paul says otherwise. He says, though I'm suffering, don't lose heart. Because you are benefiting from my suffering. Paul's saying here, listen, though I'm suffering, the gospel is spreading. Which means I must be doing something right, right? He says, God is blessing the sacrifice that I'm making for you. And you're on the receiving end of that blessing. He says, don't get upset. God is working in and through these sacrifices that I'm making for you. He says, through, through these sacrifices that I'm, that I'm making for you, you've come to know the truth of who Christ is and what he's done for you. And you've believed upon that message and have been brought in to the family of God. Folks, God blessed Paul's sacrifice. Like I said a moment ago, we often look at suffering as a sign that we're doing something wrong. But folks, do you realize at times suffering is a sign you're doing something right? It is. We don't like to think about that, but it is. This is definitely the case with Paul here. He was in prison because God was using the message he was preaching to make an impact in the world. That's why he and others were arrested. If it wasn't taking root, they wouldn't concern themselves with Paul and Peter and others. But because this gospel was spreading, people were thinking, we got to put a stop to this. We got to shut these guys up. Let's put them in prison. And that had the adverse effect, didn't it? All that did was pour gasoline on the fire. Gospel continued to spread. Throughout Paul's ministry, he knew that suffering might result from the success of God's gospel, but that was a sacrifice that Paul was willing to make. Get this, even for people he didn't know. When introducing this book, we said that the book of Ephesians, though it's addressed to the Ephesians, it was a circular letter. It was meant to circulate. It was written to a larger Christian audience. So Paul is writing to some believers he's never even met, and he's letting them know he's sacrificing for them as well. He makes it known time and time again. He's willing to lay his life down for God's gospel and for people he had never even met. When I was young, and I'd get hurt, there were times when my mom or dad would say they wish they could take my place. And I didn't understand it at the time, but now I'm a father of three girls, I get it. Crystal clear. Many of you parents understand that as well, right? But what about hurting for a complete stranger? What about suffering in the place of someone you've never met four states away, three countries away. Paul 
was willing to sacrifice for any and everyone for the sake of the gospel, not just for those who were close to him like Timothy and Silas, but for those he had never met. He risked life and limb to take the message of Christ into places he had never been, to minister to people he had never met. He was willing to lay it all down for the gospel. A few weeks ago, Brent and Jim and a few others hiked 10 to 12 hours through the jungles and into the mountains of Panama to take the gospel to these remote villages, people who had little contact with the outside world, and many of whom had never heard the name of Christ. I hope he can share that with us sometime soon. You ought to take him to lunch or dinner sometime this week and just let him tell his story. You'll be amazed. I got to hear it last Sunday night. It's, it was an awesome, incredible journey, but it was also very treacherous. They had several close calls, very close calls. They risked their life to take Jesus to these people. That's what we're talking about here. Being willing to sacrifice for God's people and for his gospel. And some of you hear that and you think to yourself, well, that's great for Paul, that's great for Brent, that's great for Jim, but that's not what God's called me to do. He hasn't called me to go to a foreign land and risk life and limb for people I've never met. Well, then let me ask you this. What is God calling you to do? What sacrifice is God calling you to make for his gospel and for his people. The mission of our church is that we at Fellowship Bible Church, we are about making disciples by escorting people to Christ, establishing them in truth, and equipping them for ministry. What sacrifices are you making to help us accomplish Christ's great commission? How are you making sacrifices to make that happen? Are you giving of your time? Are you giving your best efforts? Are you giving your money? As we've said already this year, it's how we spend the money you give. When you give, the money goes to help our mission statement. It goes to help us accomplish this purpose of escorting people to Christ and establishing them in truth and equipping them for ministry. That's why I said early on, I'm not going to apologize anymore for talking about money in here. You know why? Because when you give it, you benefit. And so does everybody else in this community. It helps us make an impact. So are you making a sacrifice financially? Are you giving of your time? Are you giving of your efforts to help us accomplish this work that Christ called us to do? If not, why not? Or let me be a little more direct. I'm not already being direct. If you are not making sacrifices for God's people and for his gospel, if you are not making sacrifices to help this church accomplish Christ's great commission, tell me this, what should that tell you about you spiritually? Mm. That hurts a bit, doesn't it? But we learn from God's word. That's what he calls us to do. 
we learn from Paul's life. It's what he gave his life to do. We learn here to walk worthy. We must be willing to sacrifice for God's people and for his gospel. The second thing we learn from Paul is that to walk worthy, we must also remain faithful to God's message. Look at verses 3 through 5. Paul says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul says here, God has given him a message, a message that at one time was a mystery, but has now been made known to Paul by divine revelation. Paul says here, God has made this message known to me, and I am now making this message known to you. And Paul's going to tell us what this message is in verse 6. But before we get to that, skip on down real quick and look at verses 7 through 9. Look at what Paul says here. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me though i am the very least of all the saints this grace was given to preach to the gentiles the unsearchable riches of christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in god who created all things Like we said a moment ago, Paul has been given this special message that at one time was a mystery, but has now been made known to him by divine revelation. But notice here, Paul doesn't become arrogant about this, does he? Like he has the upper hand over other believers because God has made these special mysteries known to him. Instead, he humbled himself. He was humbled at the fact that God would use him in this way. He acknowledges the fact that God revealing this mystery to him is due to God's grace. Paul knew he wasn't deserving of the position that he had. He knew that God had put him in this position and and that he had given him this, revealed this mystery to him by his grace. It It was an unmerited, undeserved gift to Paul. And Paul realizes that, which is why he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister to the gift of God's grace. He also acknowledges how lowly and how undeserving he is as well, right? Look at verse 8. He says, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me. And what Paul means when he says he's the least, it could refer to the fact that he once persecuted the church, or it could refer to the fact that he was one of the last appointed by Christ to be his apostle. But for whatever reason, notice, Paul responds in humility. He makes it clear that he does not come with his own power, with his own message, with his own persuasiveness. He simply says, I'm coming to you Gentiles with a simple message that God has revealed to me that I am now revealing to you. You know, there are many in Paul's day as well as many today who try to show how smart they are and how knowledgeable they are and how eloquent they are when they preach and teach. They do it for applause. They do it for praise, not Paul. Paul simply says here and elsewhere, it's not his aim to impress, but to communicate to others what God has made known to him. That's it. 
And that's to be our approach as well. Listen, when you teach, whether it be on a stage like this or in a classroom or in your home with your family, your goal should be to share with others what God has shared with you in his word so that they'll then know what you know. That's it. That's it. It's that simple. That's my goal in here each and every week. I can stand here before you and honestly tell you, that's it. Personally, I don't care if you think that I'm smart or not. That doesn't do anything for anybody, does it? If you think I'm real smart or if you don't, I'm I'm not. But that doesn't matter. What I want more than anything else is for you to learn what I learn when studying a particular text of Scripture. That's it. I want you to understand God's Word. That was Paul's aim as well. And also, because this message was God's message, and because of the fact that God had just simply and graciously made it known to Paul, get this, Paul doesn't alter this message in the least bit. He just tells it the way God told it to him. When Leslie gives me a grocery list, she gives me specific instructions on what to get. And I know she wants exactly what's on that list. She doesn't want me to alter the list. She doesn't want me to skip certain things to save money, and she definitely doesn't want me to try to get items that look similar to the items on her list. She wants me to get what's on that list. Folks, God has a message he wants us to share. He doesn't want us to alter it. He doesn't want us to skip parts of it. He doesn't want us to shape it, to say what we think it should say. He wants us to make it known the way he has made it known to us. And again, that's what Paul does here. Now, what is the message that that Paul faithfully preaches? Look back up at verse 6. Paul says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the mystery is that the Gentile believers, all non-Jewish people who are trusting in Christ for salvation, have been grafted into the family of God. They have been adopted. They have been brought into God's family through Christ. The mystery that God has made known to Paul is that both Jews and Gentiles through Christ are made one. Members of the same body in him. This is similar to what Paul said back in Ephesians 1, verse 10. Flip back there real quick if you have your Bibles. Ephesians 1, verse 10. Look at what Paul says. He says this. He says that the mystery that God has made known to him is that from the beginning, God's plan was to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Paul says, the mystery that was made known to me is that though all of creation has rebelled against God, though we all like sheep have gone astray, we have turned away from the God who made us, though that's the case, God has made a way for us when there seemed to be no way. He has made reconciliation possible between us and him and us and each other through the person and work of his son, the Lord Jesus. Through Jesus, God has made it possible 
for man and himself and man and man to be at peace with one another. Now, let me tell you, this wasn't a popular message. It wasn't. The unbelieving, unregenerate Jewish and non-Jewish community rejected the message that said that only through Christ could one be made right with God. And both groups, especially the Jews, did not like being told that the Gentiles through Christ could become children of God, same as them. This message got Paul in a lot of trouble. It landed him in prison more than a few times. It eventually cost him his life. Yet though that's the case, Paul didn't alter the message. He didn't alter the message. He remained faithful to the message that God had revealed to him. He remained true to the good news that God had given him to preach. Folks, may that be said of us. There are many in our churches today who are not sharing this message at all. Some of you in here, though you're being taught this message week in and week out, though God is making known to you things in in your personal time with Him through His Word, though that's the case, you're not sharing it with others. For those of you who are sharing the message, there are many of you who are not sharing it the way God shared it with you. There are many who are altering this message, avoiding certain challenging truths and putting your own spin on it to make it more appealing. May that not be said of us. Folks, for us to walk worthy, we must faithfully share God's message. We must faithfully make it known the way it was made known to us. We mustn't add to it. We mustn't take away from it, but we should faithfully share it the way God gave it to us. Third and final thing, Paul says here to walk worthy, not only do we need to be willing to sacrifice for God's gospel and for his people and faithfully share his message, but number three, we've got to be motivated by God's glory. Be motivated by God's glory. Look at verses 10 through 12. Paul says this, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Notice Paul explains here, the ultimate reason why God has done this great work The reason he's gone to great lengths to save both Jew and Gentile and bring them together and make them one. Paul says the main reason he's done this, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known, made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What Paul's saying here is this. He is saying God has done this great work of redemption so that God might be seen, so that he might be looked to, so that he might be appreciated and worshipped for the God that he is by all of his creation from the top down. The phrase rulers and authorities in heavenly places, commentators kind of differ on whether or not he's talking about angelic beings or or the saints in the presence of God presently at the in the presence of God but people differ on that but the point Paul is making is this God desires to be looked to 
He desires to be appreciated. He desires to be worshipped as Redeemer from the top on down. That's why God has made this commitment to restore a broken world and redeem a fallen people to himself. That's why he's decided to to unite both Jew and Gentile in the church together because he wants all of creation to be focused upon him. In verse 11, notice Paul says this was according to God's eternal purpose. God has planned this from the beginning, folks, from eternity past. This has always been God's desire. This is why he creates. This is why he redeems, because he wants creation from the top down to worship him and walk worthy for him he wants his creation to live for him and he wants their motivation to be his glory that was paul's motivation that's to be our motivation as well how many of you enjoy a beautiful sunset raise your hand one one that one that paints the sky with a variety of colors yeah when we see that what do we often do we marvel at it, don't we? And then what we do? We tell others, right? Like, you got to see this. When we eat delicious food, what do we often do? We enjoy it, right? We savor it. But at times we say, oh, you got to try this. It's amazing. When we hear a wonderful song, we say, you, you got to hear this. You got to listen to this. Why do we do this? Because when we see something beautiful, when we eat something delicious, when we hear something good, we want others to experience it as well. In a similar way, that's what it means to be motivated by God's glory. When we see God for who he is, our proper response should be to go out, bring others in, make him known to them so that they too can experience the joy that we experience in and through a relationship with God. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, even though you may not voice it. You're wondering, how can I get motivated by God's glory when I'm not? How does this become my motivation when it's not? Well, first, you need to examine yourself and make sure you're in the faith. Make sure that you're trusting in Christ, you belong to Him. But for those of you believers who are struggling with this, the answer is you got to see him for who he is. You got to spend time with him. You got to spend time with him in his word. Folks, when we spend time with God, we learn about him and what he's done for us in his word. The more we do that, the more we spend time growing in our knowledge of him and reading about the great lengths that he's gone to to save us. And, and when we converse with him, when we praise him for what we're learning about him in his word and pray to him, what results from that is a desire like Paul's to make him known. That's why Paul spends the first half of this book in Ephesians teaching us the reader who God is and what God has done for us and who we now are in Christ. Those truths are what led Paul to be motivated by God's glory and faithful to his message and why he was willing to sacrifice for God's people and for his gospel. And he wants that to be our motivation as well. 
want to end this morning with this. We've been looking at the great example this morning of what it means to walk worthy for God by looking at the example of the Apostle Paul. But if Paul were here this morning, I believe he would tell us that his example of what it looks like to walk worthy pales in comparison to the perfect example of the Lord Jesus No one better demonstrated what it means to walk worthy than him. Am I right? Jesus was motivated by God's glory, was he not? When talking about his mission, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. He was also faithful to God's message. When he was on trial and asked if he was the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus says, yes, it is as you say. And that statement and also coupled with him being at the right hand of the Father resulted in the high priest tearing his clothes in anger and disgust. But that statement was a true statement, was it not? So Jesus didn't shy away from the truth of his message. He was also willing to lay his life down for God's people and for God's gospel. He said in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus says, this is the reason why I have come, to lay my life down. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Folks, Jesus left comfort. He left glory. He emptied himself by entering into this world as a created man, entering into the world he created. As one of his created beings took on flesh and he lived among us and he lived for us and he died for us and he was raised for us so that we who were dead in sin, aliens, foreigners, estranged from God, enemies of his, could through him be forgiven of sin and made right with God again. Before you can follow in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, And more importantly, the Lord Jesus, you must have this work that Christ has accomplished personally applied to your life. If you're here this morning and you have never made this decision for Christ, if if you're here and you have yet to personally trust in Christ alone for your salvation and receive this work that Christ has done on your behalf, I pray, I pray you would do so. Before you leave here today. Let's pray.